Chapter Six of the Fortunate Foundlings by Eliza Haywood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Helen Taylor. Chapter Six describes the masquerade at the Duchess of Maine's, the characters and intrigues of several persons of quality who were there, the odd behaviour of a lady in regard to Horatio, and Charlotte's sentiments upon it the duchess of maine was one of the gayest and most gallant ladies at the court of louis the fourteenth she was for ever entertaining the nobility with balls masquerades or concerts and as she was of the blood royal and highly respected not only on that score but by the distinguished favour of the king the chevalier st georges and the princess his sister frequently honoured her assemblies with their presence to divert those ladies whose husbands were gone to flanders as she said she now proposed a masquerade and the day being fixed it was the sole business of the young and gay to prepare habits such as were most suitable to their inclinations or as they thought would be most advantageous to their persons the chevalier st georges was dressed in a rich grecian habit of sky-coloured velvet embroidered with large silver stars the top of his cap was encompassed with diamonds rubies emeralds sapphires amethysts and other precious stones of various colours set in rows in the exact form of a rainbow a light robe of crimson taffety fringed with silver was fastened by a knot of jewels on his left shoulder and crossed his back to the right side where it was tucked into a belt of the finest oriental pearls and thence hung down and trailed a little on the ground in fine there was nothing that exceeded the magnificence and eloquence of his appearance or was in any measure equal to it in the whole assembly except that of the princess louisa his sister she would needs go as diana and obliged all her ladies to be habited like nymphs no idea of this goddess inspired either by the painter's or the poet's art can in any degree come up to that which the sight of this amiable princess gave every beholder conformable to the character she assumed she had a large crescent of diamonds on her head which had no other covering than a great quantity of the finest hair in the world partly braided with pearls and emeralds and partly flowing in ringlets down on her alabaster neck her garments were silver tissue white and shining as the moon on a clear frosty night and being buttoned up a little at the bottom as for the conveniency of the chase showed great part of her fine proportioned ankle in her hand she held an ivory bow and an arrow of the same headed with gold and on her shoulder was fixed a quiver curiously wrought and beset with jewels her attendants which were six in number had their habits green but made in the same fashion of the princesses with bows and arrows in their hands and quivers at their backs all of them had their hair turned up under a coil of silver net from which hung little tussles of pearl intermixed with diamonds next to this fair troop the duchess of maine herself attracted the attention of the assembly she was habited like an indian queen with robes composed of feathers so artfully placed that they represented a thousand different kinds of birds and beasts which as she moved seemed to have motion in themselves on her head she had a lofty plume supported by a cap and richly ornamented with precious stones as were all her garments wherever the propriety of the fashion of them would give leave the young mademoiselle de bourbon 
in the habit of a sea-nymph and mademoiselle dubois in that of a minerva ornamented and decorated according to their several characters had also their share of admiration nor did the marchionesses of valois and lucerne both in the garb of shepherdesses serve as mere foils to those i have mentioned there was something even in this plainness that showed the elegance of the wearer's taste the prince of conde the dukes of berry vendossine and chartres the young marquis de montbossine the counts de chenil de rambaud and the baron de roche had all of them habits extremely rich and well fancied as were many others of whom it would be too tedious to make particular mention and be likewise digressive to the matter i take upon me to relate i shall therefore only say that there was not one person of either sex who did not endeavour to set themselves forth to all possible advantage those gentlemen who attended the chevalier st georges were at their liberty to appear in what habit they pleased horatio knowing his charming charlotta was a nymph of the forest chose to be a hunter and was accordingly dressed in green with a little cap on his head and a javelin in his hand as actian is generally portrayed and indeed had he studied what garb would have become him best he could not have fixed on one more proper for that purpose fine mademoiselle de sancerre at least thought him more worthy her regard than any of those the richness of whose habits made her know were of a higher rank she took particular notice of him made him dance with her and said a thousand gallant things to him but he could very well have dispensed with hearing them and found little satisfaction in anything that deprived him of entertaining his dear charlotta who he easily knew by her air and shape from all those who were habited in the same manner as he doubted not however but the person who had thus singled him out was a lady of condition he returned her civilities with a politeness which was natural to him but which had received great improvements since his arrival in france she was no less charmed with his conversation than she had been with his person and impatient to know who he was made an offer of showing him her face on condition he would pluck off his mask at the same time but this he would by no means agree to because still hoping to get rid of her and have some discourse with mademoiselle charlotte he did not think proper he should be known by any other who might perhaps make remarks on his behaviour and therefore excused himself from complying with her desires in terms as obliging as the circumstance would admit as she had displayed all her talents of wit and eloquence to engage him she looked on the little curiosity she had been able to inspire in him as an affront and vexed she had thrown away so much time on an insensible as she called him flung hastily away and joining with some other company left him at liberty to pursue his inclinations this lady had been a royal mistress but not having the good fortune to be made a mother was not honoured with any title her being forsaken by the king who indeed had few amours of any long continuance did not in the least abate the good opinion she had of her beauty and to see herself followed by a train of lovers being the supreme pleasure of her life she spared nothing to attract and engage whenever she failed in this expectation it was a severe mortification but her vanity and the gaiety of her humour would not suffer it to prey upon her spirits for above a minute and she diverted the shock of a rebuff in one place by new attempts to conquer in another 
therefore it is probable thought no more of horatio after she had turned from him he now carefully avoided all that might interrupt his wishes and seeing charlotta had just broke off some conversation she had been entertained with made what haste he could to prevent her from being re-engaged she immediately knew him and as their mutual innocence made them perfectly free in expressing themselves to each other she told him she was glad he was come that they would keep together the whole masquerade providing he did not think it a confinement to prevent her being persecuted with the impertinencies of some people there who she found thought a mask a kind of sanction for saying anything it is not to be doubted but horatio gave her all the assurances that words could form of feeling the most perfect pleasure in her society and that he should not without the extremest reluctance find himself obliged to abandon the happiness she offered him to any other person in the company to recompense this complaisance as she called it she gave him a brief detail of the characters of as many as she knew through their habits and in doing this discovered a sweet impartiality and love of truth which was no small addition to her other charms she blamed the baroness de guiche for not being able to return the affection of a husband who had married her with an inconsiderable fortune and had since she had been his wife pardoned a thousand miscarriages in her conduct she praised the virtue of mademoiselle de marot who being at fifteen the bride of a man of seventy behaved to him with a tenderness and exact conformity to his will which if owing alone to duty was not to be distinguished from inclination she expressed a concern that the gaiety of the duchess of vendome gave the world any room for censure and highly condemned the duke for being guilty of actions which had made her sometimes give in to parties of pleasure by way of retaliation but she was more severe on the indecorum of mademoiselle de ranville who being known for the mistress of the duke of chartres and that she was supported by him was fond of appearing in all public places she could not help testifying a good deal of surprise that any woman who pretended to virtue would admit her into their assemblies not but she said the case of that lady was greatly to be pitied who being high-born and bred had been reduced to the lowest exigencies of life and from which to be relieved she had only consented to assist the looser pleasures of the amorous duke but added she i would not methinks have her seem to glory in her shame and in a manner of life which her misfortunes alone can render excusable nor can i approve of the indulgence her mistaken triumph meets with because it may not only destroy all notions of regret in herself for what her necessities oblige her to but also make others who have not the same pretence find a kind of sanction for their own errors vice said she ought at least to blush and hide itself as much as possible from view lest by being tolerated in public it should become a fashion horatio was so much taken up with admiring the justness of her sentiments that awed by them as it were he could not yet though masked make any discovery of his own she was about entering into a discourse with him concerning the first motives which had rendered some persons she pointed out to him unhappy in the marriage state which perhaps might have given him an opportunity for explaining himself when a lady richly dressed came up to them and giving horatio a sudden pluck by the arm villain cried she madam 
returned he strongly amazed is the trifling conversation of sancerre resumed she or this little creature to be preferred to a woman of that quality you have dared to abuse but this night has convinced her of your perfidy she sends you this continued she giving him a slap over the face as hard as she could and be assured it is the last present you will ever receive from her she had no sooner uttered these words than she flew quick as lightning out of the room leaving horatio in such a consternation both at what she said and did as deprived him even of the thought of following her or using any means to solve this riddle he was in a deep musing when mademoiselle charlotta possessed that moment with a passion she till then was ignorant of said to him i find horatio you have wonderfully improved the little time you have been in france to gain you a multiplicity of mistresses but i am sorry my inadvertency in talking to a man so doubly pre-engaged should cause me to be reckoned among the number in speaking this she turned away with a confusion which was visible in her air and the scarlet colour with which her neck was dyed by heaven cried he in the utmost agitation i know so little the meaning of what i have just now heard that it seems rather a dream than a reality oh the deceiver returned she a little slackening her pace will you pretend to have given no occasion for the reproach you have received great must have been your professions to draw on you a resentment such as i have been witness of but i shall take care to give the lady whoever she is no farther room for jealousy on my account and as for mademoiselle sancerre i believe the stock of reputation she has will not suffer much from the addition of one more favourite to the number the world has already given her the oddness of this adventure and the vexation he was in to find charlotta seemed incensed against him for a crime of which he knew himself so perfectly innocent destroyed at once all the considerations his timidity had inspired and aiming only to be cleared in her opinion if there be faith in man cried he i know nothing of what i am accused no woman but your charming self ever had the power to give me an uneasy moment it is you alone have taught me what it is to love and as i never felt i never pretended to that passion for any other me replied charlotta extremely confused if it were so you take a strange time and method to declare it in but i know of no concern i have in your amours your gratitude or your perfidy and you had better follow and endeavour to appease your enraged mistress than lose your time on me in vain excuses ah mademoiselle cried he how unjust and cruel you are and how severe my fate which not content with the despair my real unworthiness of adoring you has plunged me in but also adds to it an imputation of crimes my soul most detests i never heard even the name of the lady you mentioned till your lips pronounced it and if it be she i danced with i protest i never saw her face and as for the meaning of the other lady's treatment of me it must certainly be occasioned by some mistake having offered nothing to any of the sex that could justify such a proceeding all the time he was speaking charlotta was endeavouring to compose herself the hurry of spirits she had been in at the apprehensions of horatio's having any amorous engagements showing her how much interest she took in him made her blush at having discovered herself to him so far and though she could not be any more tranquil 
yet she thought she would for the future be more prudent to this end she now affected to laugh at the dilemma into which she told him he had brought himself by making addresses in two places at the same time and advised him in a gay manner to be more circumspect thus was this beautiful lady by her jealousy convinced of her sensibility and as difficult as horatio found it to remove the one he found his consolation in the discovery of the other from the time he had been disengaged from mademoiselle sancerre he had retired with charlotta to one corner of the room and the greatest part of the company being in a grand dance the others were taken up in looking on them so that our young lovers had the opportunity of talking to each other without being taken much notice of but several of the maskers now drawing nearer that way prevented horatio from saying anything farther at that time either to clear his innocence or prosecute his passion and charlotta glad to avoid all discourse on a subject she thought herself but ill prepared to answer joined some ladies with whom she stayed till the ball was near concluded horatio after this withdrew to a window and flickered behind a large damask curtain threw himself on a sofa he found there and ruminated at full on the adventure had happened to him in which he found a mixture of joy and discontent the behaviour of charlotta assured him he was not indifferent to her but then the thoughts that he appeared in her eyes as ungrateful inconstant and perfidious made him tremble lest the idea of what he seemed to be should utterly erase that favourable one she had entertained of what he truly was by what means he should prove his sincerity he knew not and as he was utterly unpractised in the affairs of love lamented the absence of his good friend the baron de la valliere who he thought might have been able to give him some advice how to proceed he remained buried as it were in these cogitations when a lady plucked back the curtain which screened him and without seeing any one was there threw herself on the sofa almost in his lap oh heavens cried she perceiving what she had done and immediately rose but horatio starting up would not suffer her to quit the place telling her that since she chose it it was his business to retire and leave her to indulge whatever meditations had brought her thither she thanked him in a voice which by its trembling testified her mind was in some very great disorder and added if your good nature said she be equal to your complaisance you will do me the favour to desire a lady dressed in pink and silver with a white satin scarf across her shoulder to come here directly you cannot continued she be mistaken in the person because there is no other in the same habit though horatio was very loath to engage himself in the lady's affairs fearing to give a second umbrage to mademoiselle charlotta yet he knew not how to excuse granting so small a request and therefore assured her of his compliance accordingly he sent his eyes in quest which soon pointed out to him the person whom she had described having delivered his message to her horatio cried she somewhat astonished how came you employed in this errand he knew her voice and that it was mademoiselle de coignet the mistress of his friend the baron on which he immediately told her how the lady had surprised him she laughed heartily and said no more but left him and went to the window he had directed for a long time he sought in vain for an opportunity of speaking to the object of his affections 
she was still engaged either in dancing or in different parties and as his eyes continually followed her he easily perceived she purposely avoided him a magnificent collation being prepared in the great drawing-room next to that in which the company were they all went in to partake of it the entertainment was served up on two large tables but as every one was masked and the vizards so contrived that those who wore them could eat without plucking them off they sat down promiscuously without ceremony or any distinction of degrees none being obliged to know another in these disguises only the attendants of the chevalier st georges and the princess louisa took care not to place themselves at the same they were so by this means sat together but a great number of others being mingled with them no particular conversation could be expected supper being over they all returned to the ballroom and horatio having contrived it so as to get next charlotta she could not refuse the offer he made her of his hand to lead her in but as he was about saying something to her in a low voice a man came hastily to him and taking him a little on one side presented him with a letter and then retired with so much precipitation that horatio could neither ask from whom it came nor well discern what sort of person it was that gave it him he put it however into his pocket designing to read it at more leisure his curiosity for the contents not equalling his desire of entertaining mademoiselle charlotta but that young lady whose jealousy received new fuel from this object had slipped away before he could turn from the man and had already mixed with a cluster of both sexes who had got into the room before them horatio finding all attempts to speak to her that night would be ineffectual went back into the drawing-room where they supped and where but few people remaining he might examine the letter with more freedom he saw it had no superscription but supposing the inside would give him some satisfaction he broke it open hastily and found in it these lines whether false or faithful still are you dear to me and if i am in the least so to you the treatment you received will be pardoned for the sake of the occasion i own that at a place where you might have been as particular as you pleased with me without suspicion it enraged me to see you waste those precious moments with others which i flattered myself to have solely engrossed besides the character of mademoiselle sancerre is so well known that i thought you would have avoided her of all others yet had she forced herself upon you sure you might afterwards have come to me when i had given you so particular a description of the habit i should wear but instead of making any excuse for a first transgression you hurry to a second and pay all your devoirs to another whom indeed i knew not at that time but am since informed she is one of the maids of honour to princess louisa i must confess i had not resolution enough to suffer so cruel an injustice and being too much overcome by my passion to resent it as i ought i left the place and desired our friend to do it for me i find she somewhat exceeded her commission but you must forgive her since it was her love for me i am now at her house where i impatiently expect you the baron is secure for some hours those we may pass together if you still think there is anything worth quitting the masquerade for to be found in the arms of yours etc p s if you now fail no excuse hereafter shall ever plead your pardon this letter confirmed horatio in the belief he had before 
that he had been mistaken by the lady for some favourite person but who the lady was he was as much in the dark as ever nor would he have given himself any trouble concerning it if he had not hoped by that means to have retrieved the good opinion of charlotta he was however impatient to show her the letter as he doubted not but she had seen it delivered to him but with all his assiduity he could not obtain one word in private during the masquerade and when it broke up which was not till near morning and they returned to st germain it was impossible because he knew she must be in the princess's chamber as he in that of the chevalier st georges he was therefore obliged to content himself with the hope that the next day would be more favourable End of chapter 6